Welcome to JR Out Loud, the podcast of Jewish Renaissance. I'm Judy Herman, and I'm excited today because I'm being joined by Cassie Sacher, who is the librarian of the Liebeck College. Who better to talk about this marvellous virtual tour we've had of the new exhibition at the British Library, Hebrew Manuscripts, Journeys of the Written Word. And journeys is the right word, as we're going to talk about now, aren't we? <laughs> yes, we are. Cassie, it's so sweet of you to, to join me here. Thank you. I think wherever you're coming from as the librarian of the Leo Beck College has got to be a much more interesting place than from where I'm coming from. So, um, so tell me... What did you make of it? I mean, obviously, there's the fact that it was online, but more to the point, as an exhibition. I mean, there were plus factors to it being online, I think, but let's talk about the exhibition yeah. as a whole first. I think what's really what's really exciting is that they're showing things that they've never shown before at the British Library. And I think many have been to their permanent treasures collection, and they've got such rich Hebrew collections um, that they have absolutely fantastic things on display year-round. But I think to see things that, that no one has ever seen before and what's... Mm. For me, there's always a little bit of tension about putting books under glass. Mm. But with material like this that is a thousand years old, and even if it's only 500 years old, um, very few people are ever actually going to be able to handle it. Oh, wow, no. I mean, you, I can't imagine going flipping the pages, can you? <laughs> no, I, I think there are a couple of scholars who, um, you know, have the credentials where genuinely for, for their mm. research, you know, they need to touch these things and look at these things. Um, but for most of us, this is really the only opportunity that you'll 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 get to do that. So to see things that um, people like Ilana Tan, the librarian there, and and the people who've worked on this project have discovered and feel are important is 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 wonderful. And I think there are two things that go hand in hand with that. One is is the idea of a manuscript anyway, and the fact that this is something that another human being created. Mm. Um, and that you can see their personality, their thought make their their decision making processes um, in what they've done with with their 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 quill or their reed on 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 the parchment or the paper, um, and to be to be able to be as people will be physically close to this as the exhibition has actually um, opened or will will next week I think um, I think is tremendously ex exciting to be in the presence of great thinkers and. Mm. Um, and human beings from, from the past. And, you know, for me, from the Jewish past, that's, that's very exciting. Yeah, I, I tell you, there was just one plus factor in, in a way about it, us having an online um, private view in that you could home in on things in a way you never could. So we could see them holding them, not under glass. And the, the close-ups were just fantastic. I was enchanted by, I'm surprised, um, by the amount of colour there was, given that these are Jewish manuscripts, and uh, and also by the influences, particularly from, from Islam and the Arabic world. I suppose I, I should know that they're there, but it did bring it home to me. There was a lot of, de of actually figurative art, animals, even people. I was Absolutely. thrilled. I think, and what's really interesting about kind of, especially medieval book culture, um, is how much exchange there was between Jewish communities and their, their host communities. And you see that very strongly with illustration of manuscripts. And you see that in Islamic, in Sephardi manuscripts, there's much less um, imagery. It mostly follows the sort of surrounding culture of, of, of where, where you don't represent human beings. Whereas in the Ashkenazi world, there's much more representation of people and, and animals. 
Um, and one of the things I loved, again, agreeing with you about the, the, what the pluses of being online, is that they'd um, animated some of the animals at the beginning. Yes, wasn't that wonderful? Um, and for me, what they'd done is there's a type of illustration called micrography, um, and it's only really found in, in Hebrew manuscripts where the scribes took, um, they wrote in tiny, tiny Hebrew letters, and the tiny letters made lines, make the outline of the animals. Mm. And those were some of the illustrations that they chose to animate. And for me, those those illustrations, even when they're still, are very much about living creatures and a mm. sense of movement. And I think that that, those, that animation really, really brought that to life and really illustrated it beautifully. You know what you were saying about it being an Ashkenazi thing? You would have thought, wouldn't you, given the convenience, I can't pronounce it, but, you know, the, the, the meeting of Christianity and Islam and um, Judaism on the Iberian Peninsula, that the influence would have been there for, for Sephardi Jews to pick all that up, really. So I'm quite sort of surprised if it's not that way. I think you have, you have, like, you certainly have examples. There are some famous Sephardi Bibles where you see both. Mm. So the Chervera Bible um, and the Kennecott Bible, which is in Oxford, these lavishly illustrated um, Tanakhs, where you see both Islamic designs, clearly things where you say, yes, I saw that on holiday in Morocco, and mm. you know, at, but also animals mm. and sometimes even direct illustrations of, of characters from Tanakh Jonah mm. and, and first. Um, so you kind of see them unfolding together. And there was a, a Persian manuscript which they showed last night, mm. where the, the illustration is 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 very oriental, I think, for us. Um, and if you compare it to other books from th that time, I right. was thinking about mm. this, how um, if you compare the illustrations and decoration you find in Jewish books with, with or in Hebrew manuscripts with books from the surrounding culture, they are very, very similar. And there's sort of, a, I think, a couple of reasons. One is that the artist wouldn't necessarily sit down and kind of feel inspired and do whatever they wanted to mm. do. They often used um, model books, mm. so there already be um, pictures, or they copied from books that they had come across, or they used the surrounding culture. Yes. Um, and so one of the reasons why things are so similar is that both Jewish and non-Jewish illustrators of manuscripts would be drawing from the architecture that they saw, mm. from the textiles that had designs on, from the jewellery that they saw. So there's a that they draw from the common... Um, view, but we, we often think about you know historically with the Jews kind of in their exactly whatever you want to mm. call it. But I think it's really interesting that there's a lot of this is a, an area where there is actually a lot of exchange. I was going to say exactly that, and I was also going to say it's very exciting to find that rather than just being aesthetic, that we're here being aesthetic and doing the sharing thing because I find that quite scary the aesthetic bit and. Uh, mm -hmm. It's lovely to see the humanity in this and the shared humanity. I, I, I really, that was the, the thing I took away from it the most. And that's why, I get, you remember when I was saying to you before we met, you know, that isn't it lovely that the British Library is not, not a Jewish emporium, so to speak. That's a terrible word, but you know what I'm saying. <laughs> not, not a Jewish place. And so people are, are not coming, to, they're seeing a Jewish exhibition, but in a non-Jewish environment. And so it, it's different from seeing to the Jewish Museum. And I, I think that comes over, that's part of what comes over. Maybe that's partly why. It's lovely. Well, incidentally, I love sitting here looking at you who are genuine in a library. The number of times I have <laughs> de zoomed with people have, and you wonder, have they carefully placed their books behind them? But you, you don't have to, do you? No, this is, this is <laughs> you, my office. You are office. in a Jewish <laughs> environment with books behind you and it's all kosher yeah. literally <laughs> i was thinking along similar lines that one of the challenges i think the british library faced 
mounting an exhibition like this is that the first thing is that Hebrew manuscripts are in Hebrew. Um, and not only are they written in Hebrew characters, they're in so many different languages. So even if it's written in Hebrew characters, it might be in Judeo-Arabic, mm. it might be in Yiddish, it might be in Aramaic, it might be in you know Persian, Judeo-Persian. Um, and I think also the vast majority of, of Hebrew manuscripts are just pages and pages of text. And that can be very, very beautiful. But I think if you're, if you're um, inviting an audience that is incredibly broad, that is not Hebrew, you know, even recognizers, let alone speakers or, or, or people who recognize it, you know, the letters, I think you have a challenge of how to draw them in. And I think one way you do that is, is visually. And I think that's why they selected, you know, very beautiful, um, illustrated and illuminated manuscripts, because we all responded to those pictures. And I think we have an understanding that if this page is covered in gold, this is an important mm. page. Mm. And I think the other thing is to connect to what you were saying earlier, is they choose things with with wonderful narratives. And I think we, we heard um, Ilana Tan, the, the librarian, talking so, about how she was moved by the Maimonides um, autograph yes. sponsor. Yeah, let's talk about Maimonides. I mean, I'm glad he was not. He was at the end, wasn't he? Because he's a hero. It's always been my 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 father adored the guide to the perplexed. My dad was a doctor, and he had a copy in the surgery. <laughs> so it's slightly worrying to think that the doctor might be perplexed, but maybe it's a good thing. So um, so and, and I've always I've always wanted to go to Cordoba, and uh, even though he had to flee it. And, you know, following in his footsteps would be an interesting thing to do, but just following a manuscript is really interesting too. So should we talk about him first? Because he's up at the top of my list. <laughs> I think so. I mean, what's fantastic, I suppose, like what I was saying before, is you see, I think they brought two... two they, there was a responsum which has his autograph, mm. and then later on they brought a translation, I think, of the Mishnah Torah. Or, no, or the Guide for the Perplexed, the translation. It was that, I think it was that, yeah. I'm just looking at my notes. One of his, his works. My illegible notes. And I think notes. the response there, you know, that's from the Cairo Guineas, I mean, the Cairo Guineas is just in itself, you know, that for a thousand years this community in Egypt just threw away all their, anything that had writing on it. And in, in this room, and that you've, that literally for a thousand years that's where they just bunged everything well, thank goodness we found it yeah absolutely mm, mm. um and it has a handwriting of this human being and i think Maimonides, as you say your father's hero uh, he you know somebody of mythic status he's almost mm, like yes. you know a biblical prophet you don't actually always think he was a human being who existed he's just this mind and these ideas yeah. and yet here we have this little scrap of paper mm. with not only his opinion, but his, his handwriting. Yeah. I think the other thing that's wonderful is just re remembering his background, that he, you know, that he was able to move between the Moorish or you know, Arabic is world of Islam, which was obviously fighting Christians at that time, and, and the Jewish world, and well, any world he really wanted to. And, so, and yeah. also, what, geographically, he got about, didn't he? He did. I think he's often thought of... You know, as very, as you say, Cordoba, like being Sephardi, mm. but actually spent, you know, so much of his life in Egypt. Yeah. I think was part of that network of exchange, of the Jewish exchange. You know, people wrote to him from all over the, the, the world. And I, that response, I don't know where that response was from specifically, but, you know, to ask that question. And mm. I thought that was, it was just such a lovely example of mm. when when people turn to rabbis, you know, I've made an, this man says, I, I, I've made an oath not to teach these two girls and you think, what happened? <laughs> you know, what, how, what's, what's the, what's the background here? Why, you know? And then, and he's asking, how do I? But I think this was the wrong decision. How do Aww. I get out of this oath? Mm. 
Yeah, no, what's interesting there is you can almost imagine it as a modern Zoom session. Ask the rabbi, can't you? <laughs> no, and in a, I think in a way, you know, that's what responses mm. are. And I think, mm. you, you know, to get, as I said before, like to see the decision making process and, and human exchange. Mm. And I think it makes, you know, we've all, even if we're on the computer a lot now, I think the vast majority of us at some point have written, written our names down mm. and, you know, we're all readers. And to have, that kind of shared experience, I think it makes Maimonides of all people, you know, human, flesh and mm. blood. To think yeah. that's something that he that's something that he touched. Oh, that well. that is magical, isn't it? Um, I was also, I mean, going backwards really now. Oh, well, it was a treatise on music, so that was very interesting because the music of fifteenth century northern Italy wasn't a treatise on music, yes. unaccompanied chanting in synagogue and all the rest of it. That's very interesting to me because Jewish music started to come to the fore in, in exactly then in 15th, 16th century Italy. That's interesting too, as far as I'm concerned, because the church tradition has unaccompanied chanting too, but perhaps a little more musical, I don't know. But Steve and I became fascinated by the music of Salomone Rossi and his oh. story. So we decided we would go to Mantua, where he lived in the late 16th century and early 17th century. And, of course, he, he was juggling at the time with being a court musician and mm. writing music for the synagogue. So the synagogue would think he was a bit too secular, and but he, he managed to get his ideas over. So we walked from the, where the town hall would have been, we walked to the synagogue, and then we walked out to the Ducal Palace. Observing the um, art on ceiling in the town hall was incredibly anti-Semitic. You know, it always is, isn't it? You know, Jesus being got at by mm -hmm. Judas and Jews and so forth. And then we went to the synagogue and we can imagine him being roundly told off. But my most interesting thing was he would turn up at the the court and the paintings on the ceiling there, well, it's all mythology and uh, lots of nudes. And I just thought he must have really enjoyed his walks and his thoughts. And, uh, and I've always wanted to write, um, and I, I write plays sometimes, I wanted to write about him, but I haven't got round to it yet, cause, but I think I really do need to, because it's, it's a wonderful story, but it sort of fits in with all this for me. So I was fascinated that they did visit um, Italy in that period with yeah, manuscripts. And I, I think it's, it, you know, creating music, creating any kind of art, you know, if you're illustrating a manuscript, you're looking at the world around you. Because mm. um, even if, if Jewish communities have lived... In close proximity, they haven't been cut off from, you know, the hillsides and the, the castles and, and other human beings in, in interacting with them. And I think in music and in book culture, you see those coming together. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think there, there are sort of common, I think, traditions of, of mm. some kind of uh, musical quality to, to reading out texts. Mm. But I hadn't, I mean, to see one of the books that they showed had the hand. Mm. And I, I can't quite remember the name of the system, but this beautiful idea that different parts, the hand is, is a map of the notes. Yeah. Because it was interesting also that they had, the, there was the book of palmistry as well. Mm. And these two sort of things, which I don't know, for me are quite, quite separate, but nonetheless, quite. you know, one is kind of superstitious, although maybe, you know, then also, mm. it, you know, was in a medical treatise and I think people put more, more stock in. But this idea of the hand being a way you can map other things. Mm. whether it's music or the soul or the mind mm. um was was interesting that it just it occurred in in two of the two of the manuscripts that, that they showed yes ab absolutely then we um, i'm going backwards as i said i like science and scholarship because that idea there's a chart showing the sky in different times and places which is 
We do that now, don't we? I mean, I'm not sure how accurate it was, but it's it's brilliant that they were I, doing it that. Just, it was just wonderful. And you see, it, it was that sort of beautiful, like, kind of red and blue, mm. almost like a spider's web with the gold yeah. in between. She's absolutely love, gorgeous, yeah. Yeah, Sorry. to see somebody's sense of the universe. Yes, exactly. And the seven planets, because they haven't found any more then. It is, it's really special, because actually maybe it's more special that they had found seven planets. Yeah. And, and if, now in lockdown, we've had such clear skies, and I've been adoring and enjoying Jupiter and Venus and Mars, uh, and even Saturn. And I think they must have got about as far as that, is that seven? I think so. I think so. Yeah. If you, you, and I yes. think it's just, you know, as you say, like, we, we have our charts. You know, mm. we might have an app on our phone. I've got, I've got a thing that rotates you can set it on the day and where the yes i've got i've got a thing called time and date which i absolutely love it tells me exactly how high venus is i just have to and where it is and all i have to do is go to my compass point this is very similar yeah and i think it's it's wonderful to have that shared experience yes yes sometimes our ancestors feel very far away um and actually we all look up at the night sky and we all try to navigate Mm. and i think what's wonderful is that you can draw a line from their technology to ours yes we're still, but we're ultimately trying to do the same things we're trying to map those things and understand those things mm. um and what's wonderful about these books is that because they've been closed for hundreds of years they've they've preserved what's inside them and we're able to access that information yeah absolutely i mean i found it exciting and interesting as you say that connection because i've always been one for historical novels or history altogether and that's obviously my desperate attempt to bring the past alive. You know, I was terribly excited, but I've always been excited by Richard III, but the whole recent thing, you know, with, with finding the skeleton mm. and finding it's for real, absolutely enthralled me. But um, this is rather, it's almost more, isn't it? We sometimes, I guess we, I don't know, I feel like you, one has lots of ideas about these things and maybe, maybe even prejudices mm. or stereotypes. And actually to sort of see the evidence before you, to see something concrete mm. um, that gives flesh to, to those ideas, sometimes which are a bit diffuse or not necessarily <laughs> might be based on all sorts of things. I think to, to face that reality and also to feel that it has a relationship with you, I think is exciting. Mm, totally. Um, so moving on, the Venice always thrills me anyway, anything to do with it, but there was Rabbi Judah al Kabetz, that's a name to conjure with, I'm guessing, and, and Magic Spells, a hidden book of magic spells. Well, that... this, this has clearly captured everybody's imagination, this book, <laughs> with its quaint little scroll illustrations and almost like hearts and flowers. Yeah, magic spells, ooh. <laughs> I think sometimes we kind of, there's this idea, I think, in, of Jewish scholarship, you know, particularly with Talmud study, that it's very serious. And and, um, and actually, there's so much what I suppose we would call folklore or superstition. And some of it's very charming and beautiful. Um, and I think the, the spell that they mentioned was, was it was about having a good marriage. And you, oh, yes, with honey, something with honey. Yes, yes. You, you wrote the bride and groom's names on sage leaves in honey. I know, oh, that's just so gorgeous. Don't you feel that we should be reviving some ritual when people get married where we write, we write the bride and groom's name on sage leaves with honey? Yes. 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 And again, it's, it just humanises those, mm. those, you know, our ancestors, or just the, the people who, who live there. As you said, we could go and, and do that. And it made me think there's a practice in the 19th century in, in, in Eastern Europe where on 
the children's first day of school, they would um, write a Hebrew letter in honey and mm. make them look Yes, so yes, to love the Torah, yeah. <laughs> this isn't romantic. That The other one isn't so romantic, is it? But it, it, it's, I suppose it's fun. But, um, yeah. yeah, there was so much to catch the imagination. So, but how will you... I mean, would you want to... You presume you would like to actually go and see it in the flesh, if you see what I mean now. I would like to. Um, I think... I'm interested, as someone who is planning the reopening of a library myself, oh, yes. um, <laughs> I'm, you know, the, the, they've been reopened for a while. I assume it's, it's going well mm. and, and safely. Um, I would very much like to see it. I think what's wonderful, and one of the, the, the events that prompted the exhibition is that they've just completed a six-year programme to digitise all their Hebrew manuscripts at the British Library. And that material is available to anyone and everyone. Mm. And you and what's for me almost as wonderful as the exhibition itself is that if you're interested in one of these manuscripts, the the, the spellbook or, or the guide for the perplex or any of the three thousand Hebrew manuscripts they have, you can find them online and you can page through. And it's it's an absolutely extraordinary experience. You know, you can zoom in, mm. you can spend time um, and it's it's quite revolutionary that you can you can have that in in front of you, and I think so exciting. And actually, that that's the first thing that it sort of prompted me um, that I've got on my list to do is there are a couple of texts to to look through in detail. Yeah, um, isn't it interesting? You just used the word zoom through. It's <laughs> we see that differently now, don't we? Yes, mm. yes. Zoom in, zoom in. But... Zoom in. Yes. No, I like I like what you're saying. I like what you're saying. First one was it the Kabbalistic manuscripts. The one that struck me was they had one of the Kabbalistic manuscripts was about the Hebrew letters, and it had the letters drawn with little spirals going around them, um, looking at the significance of the letters in in, in Kabbalistic mm. thinking. Um, and you find, I think, partly quite a lot of Kabbalistic material survives because there were Christian Kabbalists who were mm. interested in it, um, and. It's, I think, fascinating that the idea of writing and the idea of letters themselves was such a powerful idea for, for these thinkers. And that here are people who are using writing to access the spiritual realm and then writing books about it. I think it's a, it's an interesting sort of iterative process. Yeah. Um, and visually intriguing. Again, these kind of maps of the soul and these spirals and these strange mm. shapes that are a bit math mathematical and a bit obscure. Um, it's it's very, very alluring, I think, to, to look at. Mm. I think what's interesting, I don't know how it works if you actually go and see it physically, but virtually they started with those Kabbalistic manuscripts. And I, I think that was a good idea because... Um, in the non-Jewish world, people have heard of the Kabbalah and are fascinated by it. And I think it's a good way to draw you in because it's kind of inclusive. You sort of knew a bit about it already and wanted to know Absolutely. more. Absolutely. So I think it was well organised virtually. I think, so. and and I think it's, it's wonderful. It made me think about the, just the, the complexity of, of, of Jewish and Hebrew literature, you know, to have to it sort of explain... You know, how, how, do, how do you make a, you know, a concept like the, the Talmud easily digestible mm. and how do you make what's happening in this text sort of understandable? And I think that they've, they've picked things with interesting narratives. Mm. Um, and as you say, that people might be able to connect to. Um, and I think they've done that, that really nicely. And what I quite like that is, is, is they, Ilana spoke a little bit about sometimes how the, the, the books had come to the, the, the British Library collection. Mm. And I think that's, that's kind of always... You know, very fascinating. You know, who who did it belong to? How did it survive? 
Um, yeah, absolutely. Yes, possession is interesting because then you imagine yeah. it's journey, literally. Mm. Yeah, mm. and she's. They had some examples. They had some that she showed the marks of the sensor. Sefer Atashvet, that's what she showed, I think. And Sefer, it's some, some writings from the 14th century, some mm. commentary. Um, and what she showed was that from they were written in kind of the 1300 and something. And she showed from, you know, 400 years later, the marks of the, the censors in Italy who'd crossed out mm. things. And it's this sort of, it meant, I don't know, I, I suppose irony that we know quite a lot of the provenance of these books because they were censored. You know, if, mm. if if someone, you know, from from the Catholic Church hadn't thought, I don't like this, I'm <laughs> going to cross it out, I'm going to write the date, mm. I've crossed it out on it, mm. we we would never have known that that book made it to Italy. And mm. it's, it, it's sort of an interesting... Yeah, it's poignant, but as you say, it's ironic because they kind of didn't succeed, they kind of helped to... Yeah, yeah, yeah. ...to, to arouse <laughs> curiosity that we, we could satisfy, which is yeah, fantastic, yeah. isn't it? We've been very privileged to see it online. Can other people see it online through the digitised archive well, they or mention, You can certainly see the, the books mentioned that they're showing online, mm. and they mentioned, although I haven't seen it myself, that there's going to be a, a, a virtual tour available. Right, that's good. Um, so um, I think I think of the whole exhibition, although I'm, I'm not sure, but okay. I think that would be, be marvellous. But mm. I think if you have the... If you can find the shelf marker, you can certainly look them up and... Mm. And, and leaf through and, and thousands like them. Fantastic. And when we do feel brave enough to get on the tube and go to King's Cross and St Pancras, for example, we ought to brave it and actually go and see <laughs> them. I mean, goodness me, you know, there's Maimonides bravely going across the known world and we don't want to get on the tube, but maybe, I don't know if you'd understand. Yeah. Probably. He was, he, a he, was, he was also, well, yes. It's, it's, <laughs> I think it's, he would. I think they have to, have, to, have to balance it. But the fact that it's, you know, that we could attend last night. Um, yes, was wonderful. Virtually, I think, I think mm. it's, it's great. And I, I think the fact that they've opened it up, I think, is, 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 is really excellent. And, you know, maybe, maybe it's, it's, it's incentive to, to, to do those, those difficult things, mm. to see those manuscripts in the flesh, as it were. So, Cassie Sacher, I really want to thank you for spending time with me today because uh, I think anybody who wants to know about this exhibition is going to get an enormous amount out of your view of it particularly. So thank you for joining me. Well, thank you, Judy. It's been a pleasure to talk about it and it was, was, was great to, to, to see it. And I, I do hope to, to see it in the flesh. Yes, in the fl I like flesh. And I think flesh is a good word. Because we, it's, it's, even lots of it's on parchment. Yeah, <laughs> and flesh and blood people, as we were saying. <laughs>